Level Up Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed. You're listening to Vettel, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up Latina. Welcome to another episode of the Level Up Latina podcast. Today we have men on our podcast for the first time, and not just any men, our handsome husbands who support us en todas nuestras locuras. Así es que gracias por estar aquí. And primero que nada, happy Father's Day, guys. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank happy you. Puppy's Day. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're excited <laughs> to have you guys. Y a ver qué pasa. Hopefully these men don't take over the podcasting. And the next episode you'll hear will be, welcome, this is Diego Luis and Otto. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, Ceci. <laughs> but anyway. Flow. <laughs> it doesn't flow, you're right. But anyway, welcome, hombres. We actually don't have a sitter today, so hopefully the girls behave with the movie. Sorry in advance for any interruptions, but uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're each going to be interviewing our husbands. We're going to go ahead and get started with Irene. Irene, presentanos a tu marido. Thank you so much, Ceci, and welcome to the show, everybody. It is a great pleasure of mine to introduce my handsome husband, Diego Quevedo. He was born in Guatemala, very proudly, came to the U.S. when he was two years old, grew up with very loving siblings and an amazing family that I now get to call my own. And so we'll start there, babe, if you could tell us a little bit about your upbringing and any challenges that you may have faced. Hello. Like Irene said, I was born in Guatemala. I know my boy Otto from Guatemala too. Chapinas in the house. <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, and we moved into the beautiful city of Inglewood, California. And grew up there until I left to college, and so it was. Uh, it was great. I really enjoyed my childhood. I didn't realize until I was much older that it obviously was uh, under resourced. We grew up the working poor, if I may. But it was. I feel blessed because, like Irene said, came from a very strong family. Uh, great supportive parents, two great brothers and a younger sister. And so even though we may not have had a lot growing up, I feel lucky that I was surrounded with a lot of love. Yeah, I kind of had the opposite upbringing. So it's been a good balance for our family to have a way to heal each other's daddy and mommy issues because our parents are actually quite different and so Diego had both parents I had the single mom situation and it was all good we had our blessings and they were just different but I think it's really helped us build a really strong relationship because we didn't grow up exactly in the same way we get to bring some of that to our marriage so Diego said he went to college I'm very fortunate at where he ended up because he went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and he moved at that time so I think he says something about the fact that that was probably the only letter that made it to him at his house and goodness for that thank god he got to go there while i was in college 99 time and i was at uc santa barbara so i really think that our relationship got to take off because we happened to be two kids from inglewood that went to college really closely together diego was an architecture major i remember that that wasn't an easy major for him but he also had a really great time in college he was a young man from inglewood california living in the central coast what was that like the social aspect of school was great <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time. I joined a fraternity my freshman and year. Beto and Otto were like cheering over there like, yeah, we get it. He yeah. went to the U. <laughs> I joined Otto the, went to uh, U, so he knows, he knows the fun. I, I joined a beautiful 100-man house called Pi Kappa Alpha. Shout out to all the Pikes. And so the social side of school was great. It was wonderful meeting so many new people, being something outside really of what I grew up in. And so I had a great time. It really, I'm really grateful for the social side of school. The academic side was actually very difficult. I got my degree in architecture and I like to kid that it's a, it's a five-year program, 
but the faculty and staff enjoyed my presence so much that they decided that they wanted me there for a sixth year. <laughs> and so, hey, yeah. There so you go. Nothing yeah, wrong so, with that. That's so a support I, I, structure know, right there. Very, very <laughs> I said, fine. I said, fine. I'll give you guys more of my money. And so I stayed for six years. So the academic side was very difficult. Not that architecture itself was, uh, the subject matter was hard. It was just a very time-consuming major. It took a lot of time to build models and to finish your drawings and your designs. So I remember being up at all sorts of hours. You know, our finals week was the week before everyone else's final week because we had to do presentations. And so our lab would be open at two, three, four in the morning. And it, w it would be the same as if it was two in the afternoon. So it was very hard. I remember um, I was fortunate. To this day, I still have nightmares that I'm in school. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. I was like, I'll have nightmares that I'm in school and I can't find my class. Or I, you know, I don't know where, where, what, what time, what, what's the date I have to turn this in. So I'll wake up all panicky and hug my sweetheart, sweetie. And so, um, Help the academic, yeah, <laughs> the academic side was difficult, but um, I think because of that difficulty, it definitely is one of the most proudest achievements in my life. Yeah, I think uh, I'm just glad you made it through. He was telling a story to a couple. Uh, friends of ours the other night and he was saying you know it was so hard I'm a kid that doesn't really have anybody to turn to regarding the resources and whatnot and I'm, I'm there and I have to figure it out on my own and his first year of school was so hard that they sent him a letter and said you know we might not accept you back next year and Diego was like wow I really got to get serious about this academic thing like his parents didn't know what was going on he just sort of hunkered down and figured it out and I think a lot of first-gen students I wanted to say something about that because if you're listening to this, male or female, like you're not alone, ask for help. Definitely work through those college years as best you can without keeping it all in. Because I think I'm fortunate, you're fortunate that you made it through. But I know it was something he kind of struggled with on his own in the beginning of his academic career. It's not all easy and it can seem that way, but it's not. So first gen kids, ask for help. So we're going to shift gears to flash forward now to us today, 15 years later. Uh, you're now a successful entrepreneur. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your life of work, the ups and downs, again, talking about things not being easy, and just the career that you've been able to build with your own strength and discipline. It's been a long road because, as I just mentioned, my degree is in architecture, and I started working at a firm down in Irvine, California, for about two, two and a half years, and then I fell in love with sales, <laughs> which is really opposite than than uh, the drafting and, and, and computer um, design I was doing. And so then when did it, I went into financial services for a few years and did sales and that was great, but that was also very difficult because if anyone's ever done sales, you know that it's up and down. You can have some great months and then at the same time you can go dry for quite some time. So it takes a lot of uh, discipline with your own finances. After doing that for a while, I went into the medical field and then that was fun too because I do love people. I do, I do love taking care of others. And it was, uh, I ended up at UCLA and worked there for about six years and had, um, I think a pretty good career there, but I've always felt entrepreneurial. I've always felt the, the entrepreneurial spirit to kind of do do my own thing and, and be my own boss. And so when I'm sure Irene's talked about the trip we took about three years ago, I decided to quit my job. And it's a quick side story. Irene and I, we have a big dinner the day before and we're like, all right, babe, this is it. We're going to quit our jobs tomorrow. We'll do the same thing. Like we, I said a prayer. I'm ready to go quit my job. I, I'm all nervous. I, I really respect my boss. So I go into her office and I give her my note and my letter. And she looks at it and she goes, are you serious? And I go, yes. And she goes, okay, good luck. And I, I, was, I was out like, that was it. I was, and then the next day, Irene, well, the same day, Irene goes, does the same thing. And Irene hands her a letter and she's like, I quit too. And they're like, no, you don't. <laughs> and so they did. <laughs> 
they showed me the door real quick, but they, <laughs> they, 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 they did not allow Irene to quit, which turned out so, to be like a great blessing. Yeah. So Diego, really you guys made a job. career suicide pact and only you did your part? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I hung myself with the letter and the same date, May 18th, and my amazing board said, listen, you, it sounds like you're doing this because of something that you really want to do with your family. Let's give you a year. Go get that out of your system. If you want to be gone more than a year, by all means, we'll accept your resignation. So yeah, he, he was like training his replacement that week and his suicide pact I guess not seem to be, but yeah. mine, uh, not so much. Not, I'm the still board was too. like, those parents are like, are you sure, honey? Are you sure you want to leave? You know what? Vete un ratito. We yeah. still got you. Like, go figure it out. Go then come back. Go You're experiment. Young. Yeah. yeah. And Diego was all for it, too, because they offered to pay me what I wanted to work remotely before the Rona. So it actually helped my organization. You never know. Things are always kind of laced in blessings. And now my organization, when the Rona hit, they had been without a boss for a year that was all over the place. We were using Slack, Google, all these great things that we didn't feel so out of touch when we had to sort of close our office. So it ended up being a blessing. And now we can, everybody can do that. Everybody can sort of travel and work remotely if, it, if it's still a part of your great fortune. So, Diego, thanks for telling us that awesome story. Well, can I wrap up? Yes. Okay. So, once that happened, I left. And when we were abroad, I wanted to start something off with the skills like Irene mentioned. So, I went into kind of online marketing. I started my own company that, that at the time was helping um, specifically nonprofits. I felt like that was my strength. So I did a lot of online marketing. And then through online marketing, it kind of branched out into web design, into analytics, and system management. So that's what I'm doing now on a mostly on a kind of freelance basis, which is which is exciting because I get to control my time um, and obviously be able to uh, do the work that I enjoy. Diego's very good at this work, thank goodness. So part of my work is to do some of this, but I don't have to have the skills. Like I always have to have someone that supports me. And I've been able to turn to him a lot, which is really great. So it's actually been a blessing but i will be honest at the beginning i was really scared of the ups and downs he had done sales before and i knew that him doing his own thing is back and forth and i'm more of a stability junkie than he is he's more faith-based and he knows things will work out and he believes in his own ability it took a while for me to get on board with him having his own business and i was actually doubtful because i know this is something he had stopped and started in the past again flash forward to now after the coronavirus being home together it's been a great blessing his business is actually doing really well but it takes that time and it takes that faith and going back and forth so he's more suited to have his own business and I know he'll be more happy in that way but me as his wife over 15 years I haven't always been as supportive of that and I'm glad that life has worked itself out and we've grown and accepted that we have to kind of go with where our passions are so I just mentioned you know we've been together 15 years uh, married together about 18 years we've known each other for gosh more than half of our lives since we went to high school together so I think my favorite question of this section with you is you know what are your hacks or your lessons that you've learned as a husband and a dad of three after all these years together so one of the, one of the things that I think is has helped us tremendously is to really and I, I'm speaking specifically for the for the men to really be confident and grow in your your own self-discipline and your own uh, work on your character because it's I was thinking about this earlier, and if you're a female, uh, a spouse or a girlfriend, and you're listening to this, you're already cut from a different cloth, right? If you're just kind of going with the wind, you're probably not listening to something about self-improvement and self-development. So you're already someone who is uh, going to be strong or already strong, is looking to develop, is looking to really get the maximum out of your potential. And thus, you're you're a strong person. And so it, whatever male is with you or you attract a, a partner, the best that we can do, I think, is to make sure that we ourselves are secure in ourselves. Work on your own personal development. 
um, because you can't you can't be a chump and be married to a winner, right? You, it's very it's a very difficult situation, and instead of trying to fix that person, I really really advocate for men to work on ourselves, be better leaders, right? Be better um, examples of strength for for our women. Be something that they can rely on, and that's easier said than done. Because I've been on the other end where. I've been shameful or something, or I've been, I feel like I haven't been held up my, my end of the bargain from a husband standpoint. I do strongly believe that men, we need to make sure that you take care of the strengths that you need in order to be the strong, a strong enough husband for your, for your spouse. And then secondly is as much as you Hold possibly can. Can you say can, that slower? I'm taking notes. <laughs> uh, and then secondly, as much as you possibly can is to really understand your partner and specifically understand the points where you and them are so different that they tend to cause the most conflict. Uh, I wanted to put a plug-in for this website called um, selfauthoring.com. And it's a, it's a personality test. Maybe you guys have heard of it through the, it's called the Big Five. And it's not one of these, like, what kind of Starbucks latte are you? <laughs> and, you and you get, like, a response. What kind of unicorn are you? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty sophisticated test. It has a lot of data behind it, a lot of um, um, studies behind it. So it's, but, but check it out and do it with your spouse. And then with the, on the back end, what the, what the test does, it, it correlates your answers and tells you historically and speaking on data, this is where you guys really greatly defer and this is where you, where you actually are very comparable. And that's important because when Irene and I did it, I really understood a lot of things that Irene does that would drive me up the wall that I'm like, you should just not do that. <laughs> right? Like you should, you should like, because I didn't struggle to not do that. Right? It was just naturally not my, my personality. And understanding that I was like, well, Irene's not even trying to do that. It's just who she is. It's, it's part of her personality and gave me um, insight into that. She's going to handle situations differently than I can. And hopefully the same thing with her that I do stuff that annoys her all the time. And through through realizing that I'm not doing that on purpose to annoy you, right? It's just kind of the way that I process the world that it's given us patience. Because, I mean, you guys know if you're married, you need a lot of patience and grace in a relationship. Yeah, and I think that that personality test will be our tip of the day. And one big thing that always sticks out for Diego and I is that one of the scales. So a lot of times you're kind of in the middle and, you know, marriages that work, oftentimes it's they're based on the fact that they have similar values, a lot of similar principles, and it works. But those personality things that make you very different, regardless of your values, regardless of your principles and your commonality of how you grew up, which we have a lot of commonalities also in how we grew up, Latinos, Catolicos, just very proud Latino families. One example, because I wanted to be a little concrete on that, was that like I'm much more neurotic than Diego and that's not a bad thing. Like, I'm more likely to see danger. I'm more likely to see worry and things. And I kind of overthink it. It doesn't stop me from acting, thank goodness, because I'm super down to do stuff. I will just ask a million questions of something to kind of be comfortable with it because stability is really important to me. Diego's more of a risk taker and he's less neurotic. So he doesn't see danger, danger, danger. And where it's worked for us is that maybe I will stop him from taking like major leaps because I maybe analyze things quite a bit. But also he'll pull me to take a really great leap because he's, thought through it he's analytical he makes it more safe so it was really great to let go that we're not trying to change the other person like marriages are often and i did this for years 
well, I don't, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Why can't you be more like this? Why can't you? And it's like, I have no concept of being like that. I am like me. It's how I was raised. Like patience. He brought up patience. My family is not a very patient family. So if someone tells me, can you be more patient? I have to work really hard to be patient. I have to literally breathe, talk myself out of getting upset. Like I wasn't raised with patience. Patience is not my thing. My husband is a saint and very, very patient. So this personality test and just us doing the work through the years, I think really taught us to manage problems that'll inevitably come up. And raising kids is going to be one of those places. Do you have specific examples or any hacks or lessons real quick about the kids and being a daddy? Uh, yeah, I want to say one last thing about the example of neuroticism. For example, if the end of the world was coming, Irene would see it like a hundred miles away. She Like her flags would be going off. I would be at the end of the world like, hmm, I guess you were right. <laughs> like, it, like it, it actually did come. Hmm, it's interesting. I hope this is heaven. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's so different. We're very, we're, very, we're very different. But if you take that vast difference in personalities and you apply it to just everyday lives, when we can get a hold of those differences, it's really beneficial for the relationship. Um, when we can't, then it causes a lot of a lot of tension. And then for kids, one thing that I specifically have to work on is, uh, I mentioned earlier that I was part, fortunately, of a great family. And what what great family to me meant was that we were always together. And so one thing that I have to be careful of is that I'm not just physically present in my kid's life, but I'm emotionally available and I'm, I'm, I'm with them in what they want to do, not just because we're under the same roof, then I've met that requirement. And, you know, to this day, it's difficult to have deep conversations with my father, not because there's anything wrong. It's just not what we're accustomed to. And I, and looking back at trying to take advantage of the great things, um, I want to make sure that I'm not just physically present, but emotionally and, and keep communication open. So take, take a look at what strengths you had growing up and what weaknesses and see how we can use those for the betterment of our children. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. So we're down to the last question for this segment for us, and it's our favorite question for all of our guests. So all of the gentlemen today will get to answer it. Babe, so that you get your shot, here's the question. What advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Oh, this is this one's easy. I've thought about this question many a times, and I wish, again, going back to growing up, um, working poor, is that I had made better financial decisions earlier on, that I had um, a financial coach, uh, f- you know, financial training, finance, something around me that uh, that allowed me to be aware that the decisions I was making were going to have consequences 10 years down the road and for better or worse. And so I really wish that I would have paid more attention to that side um, at a very young age. And and if anyone out there is, is similar to my upbringing where your peer group was also working class and, and it was money wasn't like a big thing, it's even more important to us because it's difficult to know what you don't know. And you we tend to surround ourselves with, with people who are similar to us. And if you continuously do that, you'll get the results of people that, ha- that are similar to you. And, and if you look around, sometimes those aren't the results you want. And so I do think it's very important that I, that's why I have such an admiration for what you ladies are doing and the, the, the support and, and investment that you guys make on your audience and, and you know, your guilt, guilt-free squad, because you get around people who, who have different views of things. And for me, it would have been financial. Thanks so much, babe. Thanks for being here. Isn't he like dreamy? Yes. I'm asking the men. I'm asking the men. I mean, look (laughs) at this man. Our listeners can't see him, but I'm super blessed to call 
him, my husband, my friend, my lover, my co-parent. And uh, thanks again for being here today, babe. Can I say one more thing? You sure can. So I, I want to just address Vero, Ceci, and Irene. Congratulations. I am incredibly proud of you guys. And, and more so than just proud, I'm incredibly impressed. Because I, I, I've been through, through the, and, and am going through the entrepreneurial journey. And that shit is hard. <laughs> it, it, is, it is. You can feel by yourself sometimes. You can feel that you don't have anyone to talk to on the outside. There's struggles. You're working your ass off sometimes and there's no money to show for it. So now you have these weird effort and result combinations that don't make sense. And it's felt so easy to quit. And what I've seen from you guys the last two years, um, two years plus is just a, a go get itness, a grit, the consistency of your podcast, the consistency of your of your relationship with each other. And I know it's not easy. I know the easy thing to do many a times is just to throw in the towel and like I would rather not deal with it. And um, so I just want to say I'm impressed and congratulations. Gracias, my amor. We'll end with that. Yeah, he's right, ladies. Uh, thank you, guys. That was that was beautiful. That was amazing. I still remember your first day as boyfriend and girlfriend because we went to Vegas, of course. The only way we know how to do it. So, so thanks for that. And I had a final I, the next day. I know she was she was studying on the uh, in the okay, minivan the on the way back, studying for her her final. And of course, being Irene, she aced it. That's that's dedication to party. I there remember you thinking you guys were crazy, but I wanted to impress Irene's friends. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm crazy, too. I'm crazy, too. <laughs> <laughs> we went to Vegas in a flash studying for that oh, final. And yeah. I think I did get on the final. God is good. You did. You got. You aced it. I remember that. Yeah. Thanks again. When was that? Like early college or 20, late college? No, late, like our senior year, 20. Yeah, yeah. We were already going to graduate, three. I think. Like, so Diego's like sophomore year or what? No, <laughs> Diego was a senior. <laughs> I am a baby. Yeah. Baby. I took advantage of him. Yeah, that was in 2002, I think, because we walked in 2002. Oh, because you're you're also older than him, right? I solo seis meses, yo siento. Sí, I think it was no, 13. Wow, cool. <laughs> Diego makes fun of me all the time because I'm, I'm 40 and he's only 39. Okay. I make fun of Otto the same way. He's 40 and I'm 39. Well, he's almost 40. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even 40 if, yet. If anyone's 40. 40 yet. Soy yo, eh? If anyone's... No, no eres cougar. Eres una jaguar. Wait, Luis, ah. Luis is 35. I'm 35, guys. Yeah. Hey, it feels good to be in our mid-30s. Luis, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> All three of us. I got I got two weeks left. Con las doñas. Con las doñas. Con las doñas. No, no, pero bueno, este, thank you again for that story. It was beautiful. Um, y ahora me toca a mí. Uh, pues, ¿qué les digo? Les presento aquí a mi marido, Luis Alberto Rodríguez Ríos. Pero como ustedes saben, yo le digo mi chulo. So, mi chulo was born in Salinas, California. His parents moved back to Mexico, Jalisco, when he was just a baby. Um, and his parents eventually came back to Monterey County right before he started high school. So, let's start there. Let's start about let's start to talk about the challenges that you faced when you got here as a teenager como, como, como te sentiste? you know what, what were your feelings like coming to a new country after having had all your schooling in mexico yeah so hi everyone you know i i think at the time when i was a teenager i i thought the hardest thing for me was was not speaking English, so not, long, not knowing the, the language. I thought that was the hardest, but I think, and, and that was difficult. I obviously had to learn the new language and be able to communicate, but actually, I think now that I think back, the, the hardest for me was actually, you know, changing from, from Mexico here 
and and the changes that came with it. So you know, I, I'll share a bit of my background. Um, in Mexico, I, we didn't grow up rich, but my dad had his own business. He was a truck driver, but he owned his own truck. So he sort of managed his own schedule and, and all the revenue was for the family. And my mom also had her own business. She had a tiendita or a grocery store. So we had steady sources of income from both sides. So with that stability, uh, my parents were able to afford us to go to private Catholic school, for example. Um, and, and so in, in, in that, you know, I grew up in a small pueblito, but uh, in that in that pueblito, going to the private Catholic school meant you were in a, in a sort of high social uh, ranking in, in society. So you, you got treated accordingly. And I think when I came to the U.S. and we moved to Salinas, you know, suddenly my dad was still a truck driver, but he worked for a company. And my mom worked in, in, in agriculture. And so suddenly we dropped many layers in, in the social rankings. And it, so there was a lot of disrespect that I started facing. And I was, I was actually very confused. Uh, I, I didn't know how to, how, to, how to really handle that. I was only 12, 13 at the time. So, you know, how is a teenager supposed to, to know how to navigate those waters? Uh, and that there was also the discrimination that, that came with moving to, to Salinas. Um, and, you know, I think, I think navigating through those differences where, where suddenly in Mexico I was sort of uh, treated according to my character and my in school I was I was treated according to my academic potential, but in the U.S. I wasn't treated according to my ac- academic potential because I didn't know how to communicate. People thought I was stupid, and I got treated with a lot of disrespect. So, um, you know, in in thinking back to 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 high school, for example, my my just to give an example, my my counselors actually would would sort of hold me back. I I remember one time um, I was asking about taking AP classes and my counselor said, you know what, Luis, these classes are very difficult for someone like you. You're not going to do well. Uh, There's no real benefit. So just go to the real, the regular classes and you'll do fine. And, you know, back back then I was was, uh, in 10th grade, 11th grade. I I didn't really know how that was going to translate later on to college. Uh, I realized now that 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 was straight up discrimination, and and she was suppressing my academic potential. Um, so that that whole sort of transition from Mexico to the U.S. I I think was was quite challenging. Um, I had the blessing of having very supportive parents who supported me, who always sort of pushed me to do well academically. So I followed my own path, and and even though I had a lot of you know these barriers. I was able to get out of Salinas and, and, and you know, make it to Cal. Um, and, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, I think. Thank you for sharing that. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's real. You know, we don't sugarcoat things. And thank you for sharing that. I remember when you told me about the that counselor, I was so mad and I was so, you know, mad for you. I wanted to look her up. And in fact, I did. And I we found that she was no longer at your at your high school. But I remember telling Irene and Vero, like, I want to write a letter. I want to, like, make this public. And, you know, I did it in Mecalmella. Pero, pero I was like... Otto just said, he's like, yeah, let's kill her. No, pero ya me calme. And you said that. <laughs> let's do it. Let's make a pact. Let's like do Diego it. And Irene, you know? Make sure everyone follows through this time. Though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> No, pero sí da coraje, da coraje. I mean, that, that you just hit a nerve with me, Luis, because one of the reasons why it took me six years to graduate college was because for 
When I was in eighth grade, the counselor, our soon-to-be high school counselor, comes into our class and starts talking about high school classes. And I was currently in algebra, so the, the next class would have been geometry. And she advised blanketly to the entire class, repeat algebra. It's uh, the, the really no need to really go into the next level. And fortunately, like a handful of students didn't, but I was a dummy. Like, this is a counselor, right? They, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I repeated algebra, which I had probably a B or A. Like, I had a good grade. I repeated it. You know about the way math works, it's consecutive, right? You have to take this class before this class before this class. So I went all through high school. And then when I got to college, I didn't have the the required um, calculus to start the architecture level math. And so I had to take remedial math. And having to take remedial math in college then puts you back already from the start. And so all for a 10-minute little thing that she said, I ended up way back six years later and it ultimately, it was a, a decision that affected potentially 10 years of my life. So I, I feel you how if you listen to the wrong advice, you can be led astray. Yeah. So sad. All of us have those stories. So sad. I think it's important to, you know, to our listeners to hear these stories. And I'm glad that there's more of us that have gone to college and have navigated that journey. And, you know, we're telling it how it is, we're, the experience that we had and the challenges that we had and you know, some of us didn't have good mentors or any mentors for that. So I think it's important to share those. Contigo, Chulo. Eventually, aprendiste inglés, right? I, I just decided. How Hello, you. <laughs> <laughs> Learning every day. I remember when, when Luis and I first started dating, we would speak to each other only in Spanish. I don't know. I guess we were just really comfortable speaking to each other in Spanish. And I remember my sister would tease me and say, she's like, are you sure she, he knows English? Like, siempre no están hablando puro español. Is he marrying you for papers? Shh, <laughs> pero <laughs> be quiet. Go in the cover. I know, I know. But eventually, Chulo, you got into Cal and, you know, it was, it was a really big deal. It still is, I think, that you get, got into Cal um, and, you know, your academic career was long and challenging. Um, tell us about that. How was it arriving to Cal and navigating your major? And tell us about your major and how, how those classes were. Oh, man. High school did not prepare me for Cal. Not, not one bit. Um, I, 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 I think, uh, you know, thinking about uh, Diego's experience w when I first came to Cal... Um, it, it was it, it was very challenging. So I, I was always I was always interested in, in sciences. I, I, I was pre med. I didn't know what I was going to major in when I came to Berkeley, but I knew that I wanted to do some sort of pre pre med field. So uh, I started taking all of the biology and chemistry and pre calculus and calculus and all those courses, which were very challenging. Um, all of those big courses uh, at Berkeley were graded on, on what's called a curve. So, and this is Cal we're talking about, the, the number one public university in, in the world, I think. Um, so top of the class from every high school students are there competing for the curve. So roughly 10% of the students would get an A, another 10 or 15% a B, 10% a C, and then the rest would fail the class. Because uh, to pass a class at Berkeley, you have to get at least a C. So I wasn't only competing with myself to learn the, the coursework, I was actually competing with some of the smartest students from all the country, and um, and you know, high school did not 
prepare me for that. I, I have I was I had a huge shock. Um, so I thankfully I found a, a few sort of support systems that I was able to to thrive on. You know, very specifically, um, I found my way to a program called Biology Scholars Program. Um, it's a program designed for first-generation um, college students like myself. I have to say, I have to admit that I was I was actually kind of proud and and I think stupid at the same time um, because for my first two years I knew about BSP, but I was thinking, you know what, I'm not going to join because if I join then I'm only going to be able to succeed because someone is helping me and I need to prove myself that I can do it by myself. So mm-hmm. I specifically avoided it mm-hmm. for the first two years. And then on my third year, some of my friends were like, Luis, you really need to get to BSP. Like, this is where we support each other. And and I mean, I realized how dumb I was and, and how immature I was for me to really avoid it. Because when I made it to BSP, um, it was a place where, where the science majors could actually study together and, and we could support each other and laugh and, and go for walks and just kind of, you know, study together and quiz each other. Uh, that was one of the blessings uh, of, of my academic success at Cal because I would have never been able to do it on my own. And and the second is uh, I met some incredible friends, uh, many of whom came from Salinas as well. So we had sort of similar backgrounds um, and, and we, we formed, you know, you ladies lived in the dollhouse, uh, we, we lived in the jaguar house, the Casa Jawar, uh, any listeners out there who may have Puros heard of the rumors, <laughs> who may have heard the rumors, you know, the rumor is true, the jaguar house was alive, and, and in <laughs> fact, you know, Diego, I was thinking of your, your stories of your, of your, of your uh, fraternity, um, some of the frats in, at Cal were actually jealous of the Jowart House because we, even though we had a shitty little apartment and we hosted some really cool parties, I think the Kappas were really jealous of us because we, we, we have big big parties and, and, and lots of attention from from ladies. So so that was cool. Um, oh, now we know. Now we know, Luis. We're, we're taking notes too, okay? We're taking notes. <laughs> you know, my... my my best friend Mario uh, is also an architect major. Diego, he's a he's an architect now, and so I I saw him sort of study through the night and and work on his on his models. And my other ma- uh, roommate was a chemistry major, which you know having a chemistry major and an architect major and a, and a nutritional science major like myself, all Mexicans living in the same roof, was very weird. Was kind of unique, you know. It was definitely not common. So I think. Surrounding myself with people that were also working hard and were dedicated uh, helped helped survive Cal. And not only survive it, but actually do well and be able to move on to the next project in my academic career. In your long academic career, I'd say, because I've seen the, I think, the longer part of it, I would say. Yeah. Because you, you did your master's when we were together. You were starting your master's when we first got together. We planned a wedding as you were you know, finishing your master's, and then you jumped into the doctorate program, and then one year in, I believe, or two, one and a half, we became twin parents. So that was crazy, uh, to say the least, but you did it, um, and you finished it, and we're proud of you, and we're excited for you. I know last year was tough because... That we didn't get to have your graduation, but you know, you were okay with that. I mean, it was, I mean, I don't know if you were okay with that. I wasn't, I was like, damn, like, 
you know that's that sucks you don't we don't get to see him and i know we wanted to we wanted to have that experience and you know with our daughters and we didn't get to have that so um that was tough i know uh for us and for our family but lo lograste and now you're an epidemiologist i can finally say the word after years <laughs> i love uh, that word it's a cool word <laughs> It's cool, but I'm like, in español, me se me traba. I can't say it in Spanish, but an epidemiologist. So tell us what type of work you're doing now, Chulo, as, a, as an epidemiologist. Yeah, I mean, I think that many people uh, have become familiar with this, with this profession, epidemiology, now with the COVID pandemic. Um, I, I don't do uh, infectious disease epidemiology. I do what's called chronic disease epidemiology. Um, so I'm, I'm a researcher and um, I focus in type 2 diabetes prevention. And, you know, one of the reasons why I, I focus in type 2 diabetes research is because, and this is particularly important for Latinos, um, if, if things don't change and the trends continue in the way that they're going, uh, up to one in two Latinos can have type 2 diabetes by the year 2050. And that's something that I'm not okay with that. Um, I'm not okay with, with, with having 50% of our population have a debilitating condition that robs people of roughly 10 years of their life expectancy. You know, I think that if, if our population is to thrive um, in, in the U.S., we have to have strong health to be able to do that. Um, so I do uh, type 2 diabetes. I work in a number of clinical trials and a number of um, population studies to, to identify what are the best ways that can... Um, reduce the risk of, of diabetes. And, you know, a lot of researchers um, that don't focus on the Latino population, um, a lot of the times their, their, their questions um, tend to favor um, the majority population, so the, the, the non-Hispanic white population. You know, the way that they form their questions, it just benefits that group. Um, they don't intend to hurt other groups, but they just don't really ask the right types of questions. Um, so I think that having people like us who actually come from these from these groups, it's 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 helpful because we're able to actually bring our experiences. Um, you know, I have I bring my own experiences from living in Mexico, living in Salinas, uh, um, and I can ask perhaps better questions that can actually help improve uh, or lower the risk of diabetes. So that's that's what I do. I love it. I'm I'm still in training. Um, I was I was telling one of my colleagues yesterday that. I've been in training for seven years, and and I'm I'm still making less money than I was making uh, back in 2013 when I was a full-time clinical dietitian. But that's okay. Uh, this is a long road. Uh, you know, I'll be done next year, and I'm I'm currently a postdoctoral fellow, and I'll be done with that next year. And 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 after that, I'll be able to really be independent in my research and and do what I love to do. Um, it's a long journey long long journey but you know you, when you have the right partner i was blessed that i met uh my my wife to to be right right when i was going to start my master's program i was like almost eight years ago mm -hmm. and and i'm still in training <laughs> and you know she was able to pay the bills for the first few years when i was a student making nothing and and she was a badass attorney uh you know paying for rent and food and and that was great and and now that uh, I'm finishing my training uh, we can sort of begin to, to plan the next phase uh, and and you know hopefully buy a house at some point like some of the people in this call yeah <laughs> yeah 
Thank you for saying that, Chulo, because I know, and it's important for our listeners to hear that because sometimes that's the support you need from your spouse. Like, we're not, not focusing on, on general gender roles, traditional gender roles. It's like, oh, que el, you know, el marido trabaja y la, la esposa es la que cuida a los niños. It's like, no, estamos en otra generación. Uh, we can support each other and you, you know, focus on your career, I work, and vice versa. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's important for our listeners to hear that. Um, so with that, what, what advice would you give, you know, younger Latinos or Latinas that want to get into the sciences or the medical field that, you know, we're not a lot of us Latinos are in? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So, you know, medicine and, and the sciences are very competitive fields, Um I have three pieces of advice to, 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 to that regard. But, you know, first I want to say that when I was a PhD student, um, a lot of my colleagues came from families whose, whose parents were doctors and nurses and lawyers and, and working professionals. You know, they grew up um, in, in these environments. We're talking about sort of doing your thesis and talking about going to medical school was part of your up, upbringing. I grew up in a in a working family. Um, these conversations were never part of the of the dinner table conversations. It was always about surviving and just you know trabajito just to have some stability. But it was never about like becoming a working professional. Um, so I th I think that um, for us who are first generation, obviously we don't have that. But what I would say to 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 people that especially especially that share my background. Um, are, are three things. Uh, one, you have to choose your friends and you have to do so wisely. I think Diego already talked about this. Um, you know, not every not everyone around you is is gonna is gonna shape you into being a better person. You along the along the, the path, I've made some sacrifices. I've had to stop. You know, we all have that friend that distracts us. We all have that friend that is not good for us. I've had to share them of, 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 of my company because where you're trying to go, you can't bring them with you. Um, it, it's important to find people that are going to make you smarter, that are going to are gonna improve your, your ethic and your standards, and that are going to move you in the direction that you're trying to go. So that's one. Second is, uh, particularly for people like us, you know, we don't come from wealth, so we don't have, I didn't have parents that gave me uh, any sort of financial support uh, until I, I met my wife, I had no one, you know, help me pay any bills. So the second thing we need to do is improve our financial stability. Um, there's a lot of sort of fellowships, scholarships and grants that are specifically designed to increase diversity in medicine. Um, I have for the past eight years that I've been in training, I have received how many how many fellowships have I received? I don't know. I don't know. You've been blessed. I, I'll say that. Um, I'll just say that I finished my, my master's and my PhD with, with zero loans because every year I had like two or three scholarships and fellowships. And I'm talking about real fellowships. Like one of my fellowships gave me $30,000 per year, um, you know, as a stipend. And, and it paid for my tuition and fees. And, and that's because every year I would always apply to like three or four things. Um, there's no shame in doing that. Those fellowships are designed for people that have our background. Somebody out there wants you to succeed. So just pursue that. It'll improve your financial stability. And then you can focus on the sciences. Because if you're worried about paying the rent or worried about buying food, 
you're not going to be able to focus on on, on doing well and in, in, in those tough courses. And the third one, um, to find strong mentorship. You know, just because we haven't been in this path doesn't mean that it hasn't been walked before. Uh, others have been there and others are already there. So finding mentors who actually care about you and who can guide you on that path is is crucial, crucial, super important. Thank you, Chulo. Yeah, I mean, too many to count. I just keep on saying, man, we're blessed. We're so blessed because we've been able to, you know, survive even even after like the pandemic and coming back from Mexico, we le hicimos con las niñas, las niñas en la escuela. So I think we've been very blessed in that regard. And speaking of the girls, just to switch gears a bit, um, I wanted to share something that as I was writing these questions uh, for, for to prep for today, I noticed that the los tres esposos, Otto, Diego, y tú, you're the only one that lives with only women. Only women. And as I, I was like writing that down, I heard, I heard Samantha asking or dictating pretty much where you were going to go use the restroom. Like, papi, yep. you're going to go downstairs uh, al baño. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Híjole, ¿qué, qué, qué, what advice would you give to other dads in your situation living with only mujeres? Luis, oh, may, I, may yeah. I ask a question before you answer that question about what you just spoke about? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, is, sorry, Ceci, don't mean to no, interrupt no, no. you. No. So I, I like what you said about choosing your friends and realizing the impact that your your surroundings have on your real your your life trajectory, right? And I always found that it's it's a lot easier to look back and say, "Man, I did that right." You know, mm -hmm. I, I I chose the right people. But how did you know in the moment to do that? Like how, like when you were going through it, how, like, did something click or how did you realize, like, wait a minute, something has to change here? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, you know, my, my dad has been sort of my, my, my life mentor. Um, and I think, you know, my, my dad sort of always, always told me to, to listen to, to my intuition, you know, like, he would always be like, mijo, uno se puede hacer pendejo, excuse the, the rancho good. talk, uno se puede hacer pendejo, but uh, when you know something, you, you know, and, and that was an example of, of, of like, I knew in my, in my heart and in my head and in my gut that that, that particular person, for example, was not gonna was not gonna lead me to, in the direction that I was gonna go, whether it was in the in my religious or my spiritual side or my academic, uh, or, or or otherwise, and and I think that it was just kind of a connection where, where I knew in my head, in my heart, in my gut that this was not somebody who was supporting me in my decisions. They were supporting me in 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 doing desmadre and party and doing the, those fun things, but then when it came to the real things of like my goals and objectives. They were like, no way, it's good. you are, you work too much, like, take a break, like, come on, let's go, let's go to Tijuana or something. And it was like, you know what, I'm not going to go to Tijuana, man, I'm just going to stay here and study for that test, because that's more important for me. Uh, but you guys go have fun, and, you know. If someone tells you, take it easy too many times, that's not a good <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, eso sí. I think it's, it's important to know that, you know, early on, and kind of have that, that, that gut feeling where you know what mejor me quedo aquí and, and have that discipline i mean we always go back to that like having the discipline and and knowing when to say no so going back to 
going back to you know being a dad and and living in in a home with only women um any advice to to men yeah that, you know in the same situation I, I think i think the advice i have is probably more generic for for any dads i, I think you know i'm blessed to to be the only male in our, in our home i love my daughters i wouldn't change them for anything uh i'm, I'm the king of the castle and I'm, i live with 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 uh, three beautiful women when when I was younger, I I you know I always thought about like oh it'd be cool to like have like two or three girlfriends at a time you know, <laughs> man be careful what you ask for. <laughs> There's many times where where I have all my three women on me and I'm like suelten me ya you know like let me breathe. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot harder when they're all competing for your attention, huh? Uh, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but but what I would say is that uh, you know it, it's important to. To, uh, as, a, as a father, as, as, as you know, I, I, one of my main sort of duties in my house is to, kick, to take care of my women, right? Uh, financially and, and, and also safety. Um, uh, but it's important that, you know, the, I think you men, you know, that we take care of, of ourselves as well, as well, you know? Like when you get on an airplane, it says if the oxygen mask falls, put it on yourself first before you assess others. It's kind of like that. And, and it's not being selfish. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to kind of say that out loud. I think Diego touched on this earlier. Like, I have to remind myself, I, I this is not being selfish. I have to take care of myself so that I can actually take care of them. So taking breaks to recharge, um, to kind of, you know, get your energy back up so that you can then, you know, transmit it to them. For me, that translates to having some some quality time with, with some really good friends. My best friend, Mario, uh, we go way back to Salinas. Uh, we go on bike rides. Or I go on these long runs with my dad, uh, where where there are no interruptions. It's just boy time. We're able to be men uh, in a, in a safe place, and, and we don't have the constant interruptions of our better halves and our little <laughs> retoños that are interrupting constantly. So, with that, any any hacks that you want to share that you learned in these last six years of marriage as a as a husband or just marriage in general? Yeah, you know, I think I can think of two in specific. Um, the the first is is to form a, a a circle with with you with your spouse. Um, I think I think many times in our in our Latino culture, our our parents our relatives like to get involved a little too much. Um, they they like to share their opinions and, and give unsolicited advice. And then and they like to tell you how to basically live your life. And I, th I think that, um, you know, even if it comes from a good place, um, it's important that, that I think, and one of the things that has worked for us is that we have formed a circle and we haven't really allowed others to dictate what we, how we live our lives and, and the important decisions that, that we make, you know. If you're going to have a bautismo and your mom says, mijo, let's have tortas, okay, that's fine, let's have the, have the tortas, but... <laughs> You know, like when we were talking about um, going to Mexico and stuff, there were some people that were that were very negative and pessimistic and saying, "Pero cómo te vas a ir a México a la violencia and this and that." And it's like, you know what? This is a decision that is coming from us. We have a plan. We know the risks, and uh, w this is what we want. We're gonna do it, and vámonos. So I would say definitely form a circle with your spouse and don't let anybody, uh, you know, affect the decisions because the decisions will have good and bad consequences and, and no one's going to help you with the bad consequences. So if you let them dictate your actions, they're not going to be there to help you out. So 
you have to kind of deal with the consequences uh, yourself. And if you make them yourself, you're more likely to be able to come out of it together. And and, and the second in, thing... In, has, in, in other words, mind your own damn business, tia. Andale. Andale. Yeah, exacto. I can think of... Uh, I can think... Can I say a joke? Is it loud here? Yeah. A, a, any Chavo del Ocho fans out there? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, Doña Florinda always is always talking shit to Don Ramon, and, and one day Don Ramon has a job as as ropa vejero. Doña Florinda is saying, "Uy, pues usted se, la, se cree mucho porque ya tiene un trabajo." And Don Ramon is saying, is "Saying, señora, primeramente, ningún trabajo es malo. Lo malo es trabajar." Segundamente, no soy ropa vejero, soy un negociante de, de, de artículos comerciales en la casa. Like, he comes up with this fancy title. Y terceramente, ¿a usted qué le importa? <laughs> yeah. It's um, like that, man. Yeah. Question for you guys. So, yeah. Irene and Diego, they said who the dreamer was, who the realist was. Who's the dreamer between you two? Me, I'm the dreamer. Y mi chulo is the more, like, realistic, like, a ver, espérate, let's, let's... Let's sit down. And, but I, I will say that I'm the neurotic one, you know, que, que me, I, no tengo paciencia. And Luis is more like, all right, you know, let's have paciencia con las niñas sobre todo. Like, a ver, cálmate. Or like, you know what, let me take over because tú estás, you know, alterada. Estás muy loca. Yeah, I, I, I thought, Yeah, there's a lot of that here too. <laughs> I, I thought that, you know, my wife is almost four years older than me. And I thought, oh, okay, like. Chingon, she's mature, she has her shit together, we're going to have a, no. a, a good relationship. I, I feel like I've always been a little bit older than my age, so when I met her, I was like, <laughs> good, we're going to have a good balance. Nope, I'm still <laughs> more mature, this one's crazy. <laughs> Regalo para Need to unwind. Regalo para las niñas. Se relaja. Oh, un regalo para, para él. Más bien, yo creo va a ser. Ahí está el secreto. Te calmas. I'm going to have a barbecue with the girls, put the jumper. Muy good. Me voy a estar de vacaciones. I know. Break all the rules. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This was fun, Chulo. Um, so now, now it's my turn to ask you our question to all of our guests. What, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Oh man, that's that's a good, that's a really good question. I really do wish that I could go back. I think what I would tell myself, and I was also thinking about this a lot, is is to to enjoy the to enjoy the journey. Uh, you know, back then I was I was getting ready to take the GREs to apply to go back to get my MPH, and I was I'm, I'm very goal oriented. I I set my goals and I find a way to get them done. And it was like, okay, I need my master's to get into the PG program. Chingon, I'm going to get my master's. And then what's next? This, okay, I'm going to do that. 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 But, you know, many times I forgot to really enjoy the the, 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 the road, to really just pause and, and enjoy it. I was very focused on the finish. Like, I'm going to get my PhD. I'm going to walk the stage with with my daughters holding their hand. I'm going to be the first in my family to, to, to get a doctorate. Like... These were these were big aspirations, and and then what happens? We're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't get to walk any stage with any daughter. Uh, it's like a flat celebration. I I can't even like you know do any type of celebration. It was a very flat. Uh, it was a very wah 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 moment, right? So 
So it was like I lived the past seven years thinking about that moment and the moment never came. And so I think a lot of times, you know, we think about uh, achieving goals and we forget to just pause and enjoy the, the, the walk because it's life, you know. Otherwise, if, if you focus on the ending, uh, what's the ending? Death. And then, and then you, don't, you don't live your life. So, sorry, I, I don't know if that was too heavy, but... No, that's good. That's what I would tell myself. That's good. Go I'm only crying a little bit. Until oh. Oh. <laughs> Excellent advice. No, eso que ni que. I think it's important to enjoy the journey as, as we go because... Otro box checker over here. Que, okay, que sigue, que sigue, que sigue. But it's a good reminder, like, you know what? Sit back, enjoy the moment, and then get up and, and go to the next step. So, thank you for sharing that. So, I gave my notice at UCLA and about a week or so I was back in, in my boss's office had a meeting about something and I'm on the elevator and I worked with a bunch of cardiologists and one of the cardiologists says hey I heard you were leaving to travel and I'm like yeah he goes a, a, the gentleman was probably about early 60s and he goes Diego that is so cool like I'm so happy that you're doing that that, mm -hmm. that was actually mm -hmm. a dream of mine right mm -hmm. when I finished my my um, I guess doctorate and before I started actually practicing that that was my dream But what I did was I just jumped right into it like Aww. I didn't do it. So it's been like 30-some years since I did it. Um, so I'm really happy to be doing it. Now my wife and I are, you know, talking about doing that once I retire. He had like four or five years to retire. When we got back from the trip a year later, about six months into it, I get news from old colleagues that he passed. Oh. It's, yeah. it's like the real-life version of the movie Up. A yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. When we traveled, we went to wow. that Paradise Falls. That's right. We went to the inspiration for that, and he was it. Yeah. And it reminds me of the movie Up. Like, you don't want to die with your dreams inside of yeah. you all the time. And I'm sure he had a great that's life, but in, yeah. that, in that particular instance, he really looked, and he had like a gleam in his eye. Like, he was thinking back, and he's like, I wish I would have done that. But, you know, I went right into work, and, and he was a hard worker, a great guy. Uh, but about six months after we got back, I got word that, that he yeah, had passed uh, away. Oh, man. I never, never, never had the, the chance to do that. You know what's so trippy? This reminds me of the comment my dad gave me when I was crying, triste, that I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't get a job when I came back from Santa Barbara. And my dad me encuentra llorando ahí en mi cuarto y le hace, ¿qué te pasa? And I'm like, no, dad, es que I no lo quiero, es que, es que no, encuentro, no encuentro trabajo y quiero trabajar. But he goes, <clears throat> le hace, mija, te voy a decir una cosa, la sé cuando, la sé, tómate tu tiempo y busca algo que de verdad quieras hacer. La sé porque en cuanto empieces a trabajar, no vas a parar, no para. Y la si vas a llegar ya a mi edad, vas a llegar a los 60, 65, y ya, toda tu vida va a ser ese trabajo. Así que mejor tómate tu tiempo, tómatelo con calma y, haz, y busca lo que tú quieras hacer. And it gave me that relief where, you know, that pressure was off, like, Okay, my dad's right. Just take a moment. But I was just so much in my thoughts of, you know, I'm a, the first gen grad. You know, I'm the first woman in our family. I, I, I have so much to prove. I have so much to do. And he just was like, slow the F down. Like, trust what I'm telling you. Like, it doesn't get easier from here in that sense, right? You're going to be like, constantly having to work every day. So, and I feel where that man's at, you know? It's sometimes we have to take a pause and it doesn't mean we don't prepare for those things. It's just like, just know when the right moment is for you to step back and be like, I, I need this right now. Eso sí. Eso sí. No, thanks for sharing that story, Diego. Y, y ahora les toca a ustedes, muchachos. Y la hierba se movía, se movía, se movía. <laughs> Go for it, Vero. Yo ni sé de lo que te refieres, así. Oh, que <laughs> it's an inside joke between la, aquí las parejas. 
Bueno, al último, here, here we are. It's, um, my name's Vero. Veronica B. Gudiel. Okay. <laughs> Otto has a hard time with me. Like, why don't you let go of the Burgos? I'm like, no. Um, Veronica Gudiel. And I introduced my dear husband, life partner, my partner in crime and fun y todo. Otto Rodolfo Gudiel. De este, nacido en San Francisco, creado en The Haystack. Stack Life. Bay Area. Hey. Bay Area. <laughs> yes. So, hi, baby. ¿Cómo estás? Bien, bien, aquí. Pasándola. <laughs> Pasándola. No la pases tanto, no la pases Bienvenido. tanto. Bienvenido. Bienvenido. Thank you. Se me hace que ahora es el más nervioso de los tres. He's a little, he's just like, oh my God, I think I have to use the restroom again. Yeah. Um, you sound sexy, though. <laughs> well, that's the one thing I get right normally. <laughs> <laughs> Hence why we have three babies back to back yeah. to back. Okay, that, I have yeah. that two a.m. Yeah, you guys take the voice. cake there. Okay, that's, that's, take it, take it, take it easy. Take it easy. That's what you have to tell them, you know. <laughs> um, so Otto is uh, also first generation. His parents um, immigrated here from Guatemala. The mm -hmm. uh, jovencitos. Your mom was here. Los 18. Your dad was a little older. He was like 21, I think, or 20. <laughs> Uh, but they ended up in Northern California in San Francisco to be, uh, be more specific. And they se, se conocieron aquí. Pues ya se conocían de Guatemala. Um, y aquí es donde decidieron casarse. And Otto was born. At, your mom was a young 21 when Otto was born in San Francisco. So he has that first generation experience, that Bay Area experience. In this case, you know, it says our, our question was like, what challenges did you face? But is there a challenge in particular that you want to discuss that you face being, you know, first generation coming from, you know, anything in particular you want to you would like to share? Um, as far as challenges, I think I, I think most of my memories of, of young adulthood and childhood are just good. Um, I think one of the challenging parts was just my the family dynamic. Um, so. Being the oldest of five, I think that was a great joy of mine. Um, still is, you know, now that I have kids too, but it's a similar feeling. But um, no, it just, it was good. I think most of my childhood was good. One thing, my a decision my family made, my parents made, was to buy a big house in Hayward. So I remember, yeah, as a child, like we did all these things that normally you wouldn't be able to do in a city. We had like this, we had an acre, lot. I have memories of playing like rollerblading in our driveway little hockey sticks and my cousins would come over. Uh, the neighbor behind us had horses. It was just good. Yeah, I think most most of the childhood was good. As Talk far as being rich, man. <laughs> and one of the reasons I think it, it was a good choice because I think my dad had aspirations of like, cause my dad worked a lot. My dad was a janitor most of my childhood. So it wasn't like the money wouldn't have come from that, right? My mom was a nanny. Um, once we moved to Hayward, my mom's a nanny. So like income wise, there wasn't that much there. But I think my dad had two priorities. One, provide. My dad, that was one thing he always said, nunca les va a faltar nada. But on the flip side, he was a disciplinarian. So he didn't take that shit for nothing. Um, but one of the decisions they made was that we're going to have a nice house because my dad never wanted us to leave the house for nothing. Sleepovers? Get out of here. No, nothing. So, it was. I mean, it paid off, I think. I think it was a good choice. Yeah, we had a little torre in the house. It was like an old school house. So they had like a water tower. We would shoot pigeons. It was like living on a farm. <laughs> In two, the city. Yeah, like two, three blocks from Southland Mall. Next, next Mall. to your Olympic-sized pool. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, must be nice. Which, <laughs> well, the Olympic yo, yo. one was in the back, though. 
We had the hot tub in the front, There's the Olympic was <laughs> in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah. You had so, to yeah. take the golf cart to get to the Olympic yeah. one. Okay. Yeah. We did have a little You, you, had a little you were struggling. They we had, had a little, little tractor because it was a lawn. And my dad, of course, we had to do all the chores. So we asked, like, can we get like a little tractor? And my dad was like, okay, this I can get you. I'm not going to get you Jordans. But I'm getting a little, a little, <laughs> little truck to do Maceran, Masoficio. Yeah. Yeah. Masoficio. Yeah, I remember. I went to drive on that little thing. Yo llegué a ir a esa casa. So I'm from Hayward as well, as you know. And Otto and I actually know each other from high school. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, yo llegué a ir a esa casa. Enorme. I mean, I think I pointed it out to you in the past. I'm like, okay. oh my, ahí estaba la casa de Otto y su familia. And yeah, like they had barbecues and it was, it was huge. Tenían otras como otras casitas in the back too. Yeah. It was That's like a little cool. exploration every time. There was little storage houses, and yeah, it was cool. That was for the servants. <laughs> At one point, maybe. Yeah. At one point, maybe, but not in yeah. their case. Yeah. Not in their it case. It was us. We were the servants after a while. But when we first moved there, the El Zacate was like taller than us. Like it was like abandoned in the back. Yeah, yeah. So when we got, there, it was just an adventure, which is like great. My brother, so Alan, who's nine years, no, six years younger, when he was in high school, you know, I was older. They would have like paintball tournaments in the back. Like, so even the fun we had was different. I didn't have paintball, but we'd go out there. And just, it was just cool, barbecues and stuff like that. But when his generation of friends, because it was like abandoned cars back there, it was like legit, like an adventure back there. Like it, there was writings that I think a homeless person wrote that lived there. <laughs> I remember they wrote, they were like, it was in red and it said, they call me small, but they call me back. What? what the hell is this? What is this? Well, Who lived deep. here? Yeah, that is. I was like, oh, this is a bad nice. little shack. It was crazy. It's creepy, but fun, yeah, adventure, yeah. y todo. Cool. Cool. Which led, you know, I think a lot of that allowed you to kind of just be really like a, a kid. But I mean, it mm -hmm. must have been hard moving from, you talk about it a lot. Otto's a very nostalgic person. Like, um, I, I don't think I've met someone like that outside of like maybe my brother. <laughs> But other than that, like Otto, he holds on to a lot of things that remind him of these, whether it brings him joy or maybe it might bring him some sadness that makes the joy even better. Um, he holds on to these things. He's very nostalgic. And I know he mentions a lot the story where they moved from Colma when they moved into Hayward. Mm -hmm. And then that whole transition, like, was that like a like a turning point? Like, where was uh, No, it was just, I, I, yes, of course, it was a turning point. Yeah. But it was it was... No, I think it was good. Like, when I consider where am I from, where's home, it's Hayward. But I have fond memories of Coleman, right? We moved in the middle of seventh grade. Um, so I do think there was a, uh, like, an identity shift, maybe? Because before, so Coleman's just outside Daly City, near San Francisco. I was very much just the poor, not I would say poor, but just not rich, chubby kid. Trying to be cool. Uh, I grew up in a neighborhood that was, like, a bunch of dead ends. So it was a very enclosed little, it was, like, eight blocks. So we all kind of knew each other. But I definitely was not the cool kid. And I was like, oh, I want to be. But I hung out with the cool kids, kind of, because it was a small circle. And then moved to Hayward. And then it was like starting all over. Yeah, just. I remember being broke, though. I remember I was like, I have no clothes to wear. So my dad was a janitor. I wore his dickies to school in, in middle school. It was, a it was like the cleanest hey, they were in. clothes I had. They were in. Dickies yeah. in middle school? They were in. I wanted well, for dickies. The, for the homies, they were. And I, uh, yeah. I was well, not I by was choice. A homie. A homie. I was a homie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But Says yeah. that you totally were. Yeah. <laughs> to this day, girl, you still rep. Yeah. Yeah. Stack life. Stack life. <laughs> yeah, even in our level yeah. of Latina pictures that we took, it was like La Chola. <laughs> um, but okay, baby, so we're going to transition a little bit. So you get, we got a little bit of your background. Yeah. Um, so you ended up applying to colleges. 
Yeah, went to community college, Chabot College, SIBO. What's up? Yeah. But then what I was surprised is like when I applied to college and um, I really thought of only like in-state institutions. So, you know, the UC system, USC, you know, there was um, Chapman College, like these local schools that I was aware of. And I I heard of big schools, right, like Michigan and all that, but I had never heard of the U. Mm -hmm. So I was very surprised when... Uh, that was like part of your choice. You're like, oh, I thought of many out-of-state schools. Y la, a mí se me hizo como que, ¿qué? Like, why would you go anywhere else? And plus, I'm like, I didn't even know those existed. But uno, no, no, no. When you grow up, you don't know a lot of these things, especially if there's not, your counselors aren't guiding you that way or everybody else isn't guiding you that way. Um, este, so tell me how you ended up not only at the University of Miami, mm-hmm. but also your major. And then eventually you, it led you later in life to, you know... Um... I was recruited heavily for my good looks and intelligence. Sure thing. I can relate. I can relate. Yeah, they stuff. That's why they didn't let you leave. I think I exactly. Recognize that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I went to community college. Just a little more on my background. I've always been a bit of a rebel when it comes to education. Like, we've talked about counselors and, and just sometimes they misguide us. I did poorly in high school because I thought it was really dumb because the material was so easy but he had to do homework. I was like, this is dumb. So you want me to do 10 hours of practice for something that I already know. Fuck Here. your homework. Mm. I'm not doing it. So I did very poorly in high school. I was like, oh, whatever. But I, but I knew everything. Mm-hmm. I did well in tests and that was so frustrating. Here's your test, A minus. Here's your score in the class, C. Why? I went to Chabot. I think kind of straightened out there, matured. I think it was good. Going to community college, you know, it's the first, I would go to class sometimes and not open my mouth, not speak. I would go to school come home and realize I was like did I say a word today I did not so it kind of just helped maturity that was already happening but it also helped to be in school with adults going back to school you know with their own kids mm-hmm. and they're not fucking around they're tr- there to learn so I did well at Chabot um played sports in high school played sports at Chabot too that was that was enriching and good and then when it was time to apply to school I knew of out-of-state schools but I think UM was the only out-of-state school I actually applied to because by then I was a, a little more serious and I was like where do I want to go how am I going to pay for it um, and then I remember the two schools I got most excited about were USC and, and UM, University of Miami. I was like, oh yeah, I'm applying there. And I got in. I remember I was so pumped when I got that letter. I was running around the house. Telling my mom. <laughs> it was good. It was Thank God exciting. they didn't move two years later. Okay, uh, Diego? Like you? They didn't move till way later. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got so he got all the letters there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm envious of you because that was one of my schools. I had the University of Miami, Florida, Florida State. Mm-hmm. I, and all because of sports, yeah. all because of big like mm-hmm. D1 football schools. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know anything about their academics, but I'm like, if they're on TV, that sounds like, like great. <laughs> Legitimate. I think and then they accepted me and I turned them down. So, you know, you probably, know, probably. probably. Yeah, I yeah. think that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's like my same situation of getting accepted to Cal for spring semester. Yeah. Come on. I'm like, never Ugh. mind. I'm going to Santa Barbara. Ew. That's money well spent by schools because you're a young person marketing by any means right you see a brand schools are a brand and you see that on tv you see you know just the pageantry of it yeah that was a big attraction um so yeah i got that letter and i was like this is it I, by this time i had done three years in community college i'd chosen uh, engineering i was going to do engineering it was just exciting and it, it was what i thought or i imagined you know deciding on your school felt like the yeah. process of it so yeah i went to um and i and i Enjoyed three years. Pretty pretty chill. Three years. Didn't do anything big. So something I learned about Otto way after was that he would come up and visit uh, from the Bay to because he was friends with Ceci. Mm-hmm. I learned way later that he didn't start drinking till until he was 21. Oh, yeah. 
And I was like, what? So all that partying we did, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, he was always sober. Yeah, just good and vibes, baby. Just he just vibes. tripped me out. And I'm like, damn, I liked you so. Well, I wasn't so. <laughs> well, I liked you. Yes, <laughs> eras de angelito, que rico. No que muy rebel. No que muy rebel. We're very rebels in very different ways. Like, I'm the rebel. I was like, what? I'm in fifth grade. I could drink a bottle of champagne by myself. And he was more like, I'm in fifth grade. I don't have to do my homework. Yeah. Because I know everything. I channeled my rebellion. Because with my dad, you couldn't. Oh, yeah. I inherited a lot of that disciplinary structure, I think, from the way my dad thought. But as a teenager, I think you find there will be a, a rebellion, rebellious release valve. And I think that's... Um, yeah, I think I did that academically. But still, even I'm grown now. I'm still... Even in college, at UM, I had... I comp- made a complaint on an engineering teacher because he was a piece of shit. We were... I took a... Cl- going a little off topic, but... I was in a class. Propulsion. Tell us, tell us. It was a propulsion class. So it's very hard. Physics, thermo, everything rolled into one. The book wasn't even a real textbook. It was like a grad school textbook. The professor would go through a slideshow really fast. And I'm like, writing it down. I'm like, oh, what the hell's going on here? Um, I remember like talking to classmates. You guys got notes? After a few attempts, we were like, none of us have good notes. I remember raising my hand and saying, hey, professor, can you slow down a little bit so I can write it all down? He's like, nope, we got a lot to get through. I was like, well, that's not a good answer. I still, I'm not going to learn anything. I raised my hand again. Can you share the PowerPoint? Because we had like a SharePoint version, right, of, um, what's it called? Yeah, SharePoint. And he's like, no, I'm not going to put on SharePoint. So I'm like, you just don't want to share the slides now. Can you print them out? Was my third request. He said, no. And now I'm like, well, I'm not dumb either. He's flying through these slides and he doesn't want us to see them. And the book isn't a real textbook. So I complained. And the school was like, okay. And this is where I was a little different from most other classmates I had. The dean was like, well, that sounds bad. That's not what I want our professors to do. Um, if you can get, I think it was like four of your classmates to agree, then it's kind of a group and we can say, you know, they're supporting evidence or, or enough evidence. Maybe there's a threshold at which you say it. Not a single fucking classmate signed on because they were afraid to get a bad grade. Hell no. And that's where I am not like, it's so, it's like, it's just, they're, they're serving the professor instead of the other way around, even though we're paying them a ton of money to do that. And Como that's right. Papa de Luis, no sean pendejos tampoco. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, like who? Right, it's like, but that. you're. It's a lot of students, I think, or people, students. I don't know. But this whole education, uh, Luis, you're talking about who makes these the survey questions. Like it's it's questions that are fit a certain demographic or a certain way of thinking. It exists in all these different dimensions. These students weren't learning for themselves to challenge things. They were just like, how can I best serve this professor who is the academic, I don't know, master is not the word I want to say, but like the the um, infallible, whatever this professor says, I just want them to like me enough to give me a good grade. Even now, I'm like, that's don't be dumb. Like, no, understand where you're, what little power we all have. At least use that or at least be aware of it. But yeah, um, I'm not upset by that still. No, not at all. But it's definitely oh, affected his, God. his, you know, the way he he views his counterparts, like his classmates, right? Um, so you went in as a, you graduated as a mechanical engineer. Yeah, mechanical engineering, focus in aerospace. And you are now in industrial engineering. Yeah, you're in that working in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Then you. Also, recently, what, 2019, right before the pandemic, right before graduated time, from yeah. MBA, MBA. with your MBA from UCLA Anderson. That's right. And that's... Um, yeah, congratulations, baby. Um, 
That's a lot of work. And I, I remember seeing you through that process. I remember hearing about the process before when you were applying, um, still taking your GMAT. Yeah. Um, that's when we kind of rekindled our friendship. Yeah. Um, I thought I was going to help her study for the GMAT. He thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Good job. Ten years Beto. later, Any only one of us went to Greece. Yeah. yeah. Only yeah. one that paid suicide pack didn't work out either. That's another suicide pack where the I men mean, fell like, for there it. There you go. <laughs> we, we, we've been trapped. <laughs> yes. We're going to start our own podcast next week. The Trapped. <laughs> the Trapped. Los, los Atrapados. Diaries. Los Atrapados. The other side. Uh -huh. Oh, that's perfect. So then um, we've been talking about, um, you know, the sciences and engineering. Like these are a lot of um, fields that Latinos are coming into, um, at least here as first generation. You know, in, in our pueblos, tenemos tíos, you know, tías, familia, que hay doctores, profesores, todo eso. Um, but, you know, we're, we're learning now the system here and we're, and we're going for those degrees and, and becoming those professionals, like Luis had mentioned. How did you get, um, how did engineering even get introduced to you? And then how did you end up with your MBA? Like, what, what was that process like? Right. So my parents, and I think this is a lot of immigrant parents, <clears throat> don't know the details on how to guide their kids to the, the real, the details or the nuances of higher education. But I think a lot of parents are like, get an education. They realize the value of mm -hmm. education. Mm -hmm. So my parents had enough to tell me like, oh, like the expectation was always go to college, get an education. Ceci and I were in Puente in high school. I think we had the good fortune of being at a school that had some kind of initiatives to help first generation uh, students do well in high school. I think it was, they did a good job identifying that it starts in high school. It's too late by the time they're in college. You got to start in high school. So Puente was, I think, very useful just to get me in the mindset of go to college. Um, again, didn't do that well in, in high school. But by the time I got out, I was like, what am I, of course I have to do something. Like, no, I have to go to college. Funny to me because I always thought like, you know, Otto was at the top of the class as far as grades. Uh, so when he went to Chabot, I was like, what? Like, como me sorprendió. Pero ahora sé que era porque estoy rebelde. I think Otto was ahead of his time because now our school district's huge about like homework isn't it. Like we don't uh -huh. count it heavily. We don't give it often. There was this whole revolt against homework. And I think it was a few years ago, some teachers went viral saying homework was a waste of time. It wasn't good for kids. It was draining them. And I don't think we've ever really well, struggled. Well, it's, it's not a waste of time, period. It's like if the child knows the material, it's a waste of time. Yeah. But if it's like Otto said, if it's practice and you need to practice, it's then a good did. idea. But if you don't need to practice and you know the material, what's the point? And I remember right. plenty of tears for both of the oldest in kindergarten that had these weekly packets that were just like repetitive work. And I didn't have that struggle with Noah. Like he wasn't required to do this packet. His homework was more optional. And academically, they're all kind of at the same place. You should never compare. But I don't see a difference in one of them that didn't have much homework. And the thing is like, I know that for me, I was a rebel in every aspect, right? Education, my life, it just, in every, in every, in everything that I think about, I, I always wanted to question authority and, and why is that the answer? And, and the because it is wasn't enough for me. Now that I see my kids, I'm like, I wonder what it's going to be like for them in the, in the steps of like, okay, si no tienen esto. And a lot of people are concerned because we live in Compton, right? And they're like, well, where are your kids going to go to school? They're going to go to, you know, these uh, public schools that are, you know, the education is just not the best and, you know, the teaching, the rate is so low. So we have, we're like, we've been discussing like, okay, they can go to public school or they can go to the private schools in the area. Um, so with that, we're like, well, we both kind of have, you know, we're pretty decent, smart human beings. You know, we, we've, we've made it thus far. So we're like, we can be involved, kind of monitor their, their learning. And when they're home, 
you know, and doing their homework or doing their activities and just, uh, how was your day? What aprendiste? To be that kind of involved, like to be like, oh, well, you should actually know this in, in this case. And then address the teachers or address the school because that's how changes happen, right? And many times we're in a working community, kind of uh, low, you know, low research working community. And the parents, I'm sure, don't have that kind of time to be involved. So it's kind of, I'm like, well, we're, we're going to be able to do that. So we, it no nos preocupa tanto, you know? So anyway, getting back to you, baby, back to the mm-hmm. story. Is that I don't call him my chulo. Uh, I used to call him feo, but he's now my honey bunny. The feo that I was like, ay, está papasote. Um, <laughs> so like, la, la voy a hacer los feos. Pero ya no, ya se me quitó. Ya, mejor la, yeah. Yo no le quiero decir así a mi, a mi honey. Yeah, it, it was his idea. He didn't want to call me fea anymore. He didn't want to hear our kids, have our kids hear him say fea. Good know? idea. Even though you were joking like that, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking that how how rich everyone's stories are. You know, Diego, Otto. You know, we've we've had a number of conversations, but we the, the, the subject never really led in this direction. So with all of the richness, I think we're going to do really well when we take over the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We got some good material. We have at least for, for at least for season one. At Ooh. least, yeah, at least season one. You have hundred episodes and you go for it. Hey, mm-hmm. I had a question. Who's the dreamer? Who's the realist? Did you guys answer that earlier? Did you guys answer that earlier when you asked Luis and Sussy? Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're both dreamers. This, I, I didn't want to do this podcast. He so. calls it no. He calls it structured, unstructured. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, who's structured? Who's? I let me guess. You're unstructured, Veto, and he's structured. Yeah. Good guess. Yeah. In that sense. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your plan? What's your plan? That is my the thing I yeah. most often say, both during arguments and actually when everything is going fine. What's the plan? Mm-hmm. And what I hate hearing is silence. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so enjoy the moment. So here, oh my God. Yeah. So, it's just just I, have a plan. I know it's not going to work. The point of yeah. plan of the plan isn't to be right. It's to plan. The planning has value. So when I yeah. So, so for me, I'm very different. Like when it's like, I'm here every day with the kids. You know, I, I stopped working because I wanted to eventually be home with my kids. You know, because you guys know, todas las pregnancies were by surprise. You know, I, Otto and I were not together. Surprise to me. <laughs> well, I was surprised first, buddy. You know, Remember, like, we're trapped. En el próximo episodio de Los Atrapados. On last week's episode. Oh my god, that's too funny. Ray and Diego go to Las Vegas. Ooh. This got real serious. You want to talk about this right now? takes advantage of the Guatemalan. Ooh. (laughs) Supposed to say yes, dear. Yes, dear. All right, so now that we're here, we've been been chit chatting a lot. You're you're chistosito, okay? So we need to get serious here. Talk about the MBA experience. Oh, the MBA experience. MBA experience, and then we go from there kind of just connected to what I said about undergrad, business school is also, to a fair degree, a bunch of people that just want a rubber stamp. I'm going to say that right now. I don't like that. I want, uh, I learned a lot. UCLA, Anderson was very expensive. And it was worth it also. I just learned so much. No regrets there. I learned a ton. Just um, everything I wanted to learn. So it was good. One thing that I expected to learn, or or, yeah, just an area of learning would have been from classmates. That was, was less than I thought. I started on the negative side, but it was good. I learned a ton. I uh, did the part-time program at, at Anderson. Um, if you're considering business school, please go, uh, even if not to Anderson. So this is something that everyone always thinks like, oh, 
MBA school or applying to these schools. It's it's so hard. It's so difficult. And some people just give up. Right. Right. So then I, I kind of wanted for you to touch a little bit on your experience um, on applying and going to your dream school, the school Got you it. wanted to go to in this case for, for your MBA. Understood. Okay. So I, I have a journal. Like I, I used to journal quite often, mostly for work. So I, I would just put little notes down on things to do, tasks. Yeah, just journal. And then I would also kind of from that practice came journaling for myself. So I would do little numeritos. I was always doing my budget, which is just a habit. I would always do. There you go, Luis. Yeah, I would always do that. So I was going through some old notebooks and I have one from 2008 where my goal for the year, one of the goals for the year, I think only had three, was take the GMAT. I didn't take the GMAT until 2014 and only because I got laid off because the company I was with merged, Office Max and Office Depot merged. My team got laid off. I was like, well, I got a severance package. I don't have to work, work for, you know, six months maybe. Do I want to go back? And then just like, no, this this is a good time to study for the GMAT. I took a great GMAT prep course. Unfortunately, it doesn't even exist anymore, but it was really good. Did very well on the uh, GMAT and applied. Again, the one thing I didn't have great was the undergrad GPA, which was okay, but not great. So I, I didn't want to leave Southern California or I didn't want to leave California in general. So I was thinking, where do I want to apply? Once I started applying, I got I started working again, um, and it was really came down to USC and UCLA. I was like, you know, these I do want to stay in the area. I think I you know want to take advantage of the network here. Um, so I ended up applying three separate times to both. I got into USC the second time, but by then I'd already kind of made up my mind that I did want Anderson because I wanted it's got the clout and it's like a top. It's like averages between ten and fifteen or sixteen as far as uh, rankings. And USC's maybe usually five, six positions lower. So I wanted the, the clout of, of Anderson. So I applied the third time, uh, got in. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a challenging experience. I, didn't, I never felt really defeated. It was just, I'm going to get in. And how many times am I, am I going to try before I go somewhere else? Getting into USC the second time kind of gave me a safety valve too. Because I was open to both. But I was I just like, let me shoot my shot one more time. And if not, I'll go to, uh, to USC. <laughs> also, they cost the same which a lot of people, oh, well, I didn't know at the beginning, but you, you, uh, UCLA's business school is semi-autonomous, so they get to set their own tuition fees. So it's the same price as, as USC, mm-hmm. which is a lot. <laughs> I would say too much. Yeah. Too much money. Um, okay, cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, go to business school, though. You're going to learn a lot. I will eventually get there. We haven't thrown out my business school books yet. Still there. I still have hope. I just, yeah. I can be your tutor. Aww. Ooh. Anyway, so we're not going to go. <laughs> um, I don't know uh, you guys caught that. Sin querer queriendo. All right. So then, um, I know we're going a little long on here because we just love talking to you guys. But let's quickly, briefly tell me a little bit. Um, you're currently in a work and what advice you would give to people that are interested in that kind of field. Gotcha. So uh, once I left undergrad, I went to work for UPS. I had an internship while I was in school. Uh, good experience. I ended up staying in the logistics field. Um, I worked at UPS for six years, a little bit over. It was a good experience. It was very stressful every single day. Um, the culture there was very confrontational. Like I, I had arguments with people most days. And it really shaped the kind of engineer I am. Um, I was glad I went, I worked there, but it was, it was also just um, after a while, it just kind of, it's too much after a while. I think UPS has like very, very high rates of like divorce because it's just the commitment is high, the stress levels are high, and it's never good enough. I knew it was time to leave when I was on a call and, and someone uh, two levels above me was just getting 
beat. Like it was embarrassing to listen. So I thought, I don't want to be in that role someday. So it's time to go. Um, but it made me a really good engineer. Uh, all the jobs I've had since then, none of them have been as challenging nor as rewarding since then. Um, currently, I work for a Japanese multinational uh, logistics company, a uh, supply chain company. I have a very short commute, which is very nice. And what I do is actually, I'm the closest I've ever ever been to the commercial side. So I sit right now between our sales team and our operations team. So my company does outsource logistics. So you have a company, you know, you're a retailer, you're Macy's or Target, you have a very long supply chain. We try to take a piece of it and say, hey, we can do this more efficient than you can and you save money because we'll charge you less than what you would do it yourselves. So we do that. And what I do is our sales team goes out and tries to sell the world, of course. And they come back to me and say, hey, Otto, this is what I want to sell this customer. I take it and say, well, let's see if we can do that. And I talk to operations and they say, of course not, we because they don't want to do anything new or anything different. And I say, well, I know operations and I know we can do 75% of this. So that's what I'm going to tell sales. And they're going to, you know, complain about it. And I'm going to say, well, that's too bad. And I'm going to turn around to sales and say, we can give them 75% of what they're asking for. The rest we just cannot do. It's not in our wheelhouse. And just that negotiation between those two sides. Um, and again, it's it seems easy when you've worked someplace like UPS, where it's literally people fist fighting every <laughs> once in a while. Um, so yeah. And there's a lot of negotiation yeah, that so, happens here. Yeah, so for sure. <laughs> So I, I like it very much. Like it's 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 got enough of the commercial side. Like someone on my team, one of the responsibilities is simply pricing. So we have this very intricate financial model where we price things out. We have to have the inputs about what are our real costs, what's the real operation like. Um, so yeah, it's good. Oh, advice for someone getting in. I don't think anyone aspires to be in logistics. I don't think it's it's one of those glamorous industries. Um, but I will say for engineering, I can advocate for that. Um, please study engineering any young people out there or, or older people that are going back to school um, i'm going to try to tell my kids that because in a, as an engineer you have one overall objective um professionally and that's hopefully what you're taught to do and that is to solve problems so i'm a mechanical but i've never worked in mechanical but the overall the kind of just broad approach the approach you are taught is how do you solve problems and i, I like mindset that uh methodology that you're taught when you study engineering so yeah, and more uh, perspectives that are in the field, the better. I've done career days, you know, a few times, and there's always young women in, or young girls in the uh, in the classroom and in the audience, and I always tell them, please study engineering, go for it. We need more perspectives. The more perspectives there are, the more uh, the more complicated the problems we can solve. And as technology and everything advances, our problems will get more complicated. So we need more perspectives to be able to solve those challenges or problems and, and meet those challenges. Otto, you'd be a really good professor, man. I am studying right now. I'm applying to get my um, professional engineer's license in the state. And when once I have that, I because I have my master's in business, I can teach community college. So I want to teach... I'll be able to teach both business-related nice. and engineering-related classes. So I, I, I can cool. see a lot of the skills that at least I personally have admired in, in, the, in the many years that I've been in academia. On the receiving end, you have a lot of the good qualities that, that I see in some of the best professors I've had. So I'm mm -hmm. glad that you're thinking about doing that, uh, if not for a hobby, uh, perhaps part-time, because I think you would be a damn good professor, man. So Thank you very much. You, you wear glasses, so that's all the qualifications <laughs> that you did. I'm on. Because then you can teach, teach serious when you I can go teach like this. You. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll take it. Did you hear what I no. said? No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the power move. You can only yeah. get glasses. That's the power move. Yeah. Get glasses, guys. Get glasses. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. baby. <laughs> so you guys thought these were all books back here? No, those are all his journals. 
Um, <laughs> FYI. <laughs> you pull one of those back and the whole wall kind of just moves to the yeah. side. This, this new house is cool. It's a bad yeah. cave. Yeah. <laughs> All right, baby. So we're going to shift a little bit here and kind of talk about more the, the husband-dad part of it. You know, you've always been uh, papito, daddy, pero in ese sentido, like you become a dad recently. You know, we've been married now uh, two years. Yes. And... So what is it, what hacks or what have you learned or what can you share? What piece of advice would you want to give out to the husbands or, and the dads because then I, yeah, in the world? I don't know if I have good advice. I haven't been a dad long enough, I think. But I will tell you, I will share what I've struggled with and maybe hopefully someone will feel a little less alone out there. Um, I wish I was more patient with our kids. I think the structure, I don't, I'm not yet good at... Uh, metering or tempering the structure my desire for structure with our kids you know they're toddlers the oldest one's still a toddler the youngest one's still you know just crawling around on the floor so that's been a bit of a challenge um but you know i'm trying to be more deliberate about it another well i guess this is a, a tip when i imagined playing with my children i thought it, i would also be playing i didn't realize now that it is work <laughs> it's play for them. You're a facilitator. But it's work for us. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's some insight. If you guys, anyone out there doesn't have kids yet or will soon have children, it's only play for the kids' side. Uh, yeah. But it's I'm also learning, learning for that. the kids' side. So. <laughs> I'm still learning that. I'm like, why am yeah. I so tired playing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, it makes it, yeah, it just makes it better when you go and it, because it has to be a deliberate attempt. I'm going to play with my children right now. I have 45 minutes. We are going to play. I can steer the play towards one way or the other. You know, let's not play hit your sibling in the head. I can channel that a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, play is work. Everything is work. Otto has, okay, so if you guys don't believe me, Otto's very disciplined, has this like a process to, to things and plans things out like that. I'm pretty much the opposite in, in, in certain aspects of my life. But he has his little, little uh, watch. He sets his little alarm. He sets the time. He times himself on what he, how long it takes him to do certain things. And he, and and I don't even know that Everyone sometimes he's that. like, oh, that just took me four minutes, four and a half minutes. Why did it take me so long? And I'm like, what? We were timing it, you know. So it, it's it's a unique experience when you know he was timing you guys in the bedroom. Why did it take him so long? Oh, he takes that watch off, girl. The battery dies. Oh, <laughs> I love it. No, no sirve. No sirve. That's right. It breaks. It breaks. It breaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not the only thing that breaks, huh, baby? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, then on... <laughs> are you talking about the camera or what are you talking about? Shh. Okay. <laughs> camera. Good camera. All right, baby. So, then um, thank you for those tips and that struggle sharing that because it's not always easy. Um, and we'll get to the six-year mark. Primero Dios. And we'll get to that 15-year mark. If I can say something about being a parent, a father specifically of older children, and I don't know if Otto or Luis, you guys can relate. I never felt, you know how there's this mythical kind of story that when your children are born, like instant love and hearts and you all, like I, I never felt that. And for a long time, I actually felt guilty. I'm like, man, I'm, I felt like immediate responsibility. Mm-hmm. And oh. like, okay, like it was, it was like a seriousness to it. It wasn't much tenderness to it that I that I felt but as my children have gotten older I've enjoyed being a father more mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so at the age that maybe you guys are I and mean, you may be different but you reminded me of, of me it, it really is work mm-hmm. and it's kind of work and you know you have responsibility and even play like you said there's there's work in play mm-hmm. uh, but as my children have gotten older it's been actually nice because uh, we have dialogue mm-hmm. right you can have a conversation and hear what their thoughts are and so I feel like as a father I'm at a at a perfect time for my personality to be a father. And it's much more joyful, personally joyful, than just having to take care of 
Yeah, you know, goes two ways. Chime in as well, but Diego, you reminded me. I actually felt the same way, you know, with having twins. It was a, it was a heavy responsibility with my wife all beat up from from the long ass delivery, and it was like forty hours or something like that, right? So I I um, I jumped into it like okay, there's a lot of things to do, so I'm going to help as much as I can. I remember the first time that I actually felt like a love connection, like a like a love connection was with Paula. I think she was about six months old. Um, she was struggling to sleep. And, and, you know, babies, their eyes kind of wonder, but she was a little bit older, about five or six months. And one day I was really upset that I was really upset. I, I was very tired. She wouldn't go to sleep and I was holding her and I was looking at her and she, we made like a, like a eye to eye connection. And she was looking right at me. Like she wouldn't even blink. And I was oh. like, Oh my God, you're, you're my daughter. Like she was telling me, Papi, I love you. Like yeah. help me, you know, like oh. just, just help me comfort me. And I was like, ah, caray, like, hold on. I can actually love her back. I don't have to just be disciplined and be helping. I can actually pause and, and love you. And I told her about mm -hmm. it. I was like, I had this connection with Palita today. And, and it was, it was, it was a moment that I had never experienced up until that point. So thanks for. Remind, reminded me of that that's beautiful and i think what's funny is that louise you experience that as a father and some of us women we experience it as mothers you know some they they sell us this joy of like pregnancy you glow and and pregnancy is this i had thankfully thank you lord i had great pregnancies and my deliveries were fantastic igual when i met my babies i was very happy i was very joyous but i wasn't sure like damn baby i love you I, I i don't know if i felt like that quite yet it took a little while and it was in those moments of like you know it took a little bit not like oh i i'm learning to love them now well i'm still learning to love them because they're growing up and they're becoming different little beings but it took a little while to get to that so for anyone out there that is experiencing that or is if you know it has been sold this dream that you instantly just love these kids these beings it's it takes a little sometimes for some of us just un poquito and and we get there so thank you for sharing that Luis. last question that our signature question before we sign off is what advice would you give your 25 year old self it's financial also i think diego's is financial too um i shouldn't have sold all those houses <laughs> so I, that's one thing i think uh culturally we our parents are like real property is an investment right it's real you can touch it that's where you should grow your wealth and buy your houses and i have uncles that are like ah, tengo terreno aquí, no sé dónde. I'm like okay so that I was like, okay, I gotta buy a house, and I've sold, I've bought and sold two duplexes, one in Hayward, one in Long Beach, and I'm like, I should have tried harder to keep them. I should have tried harder because now every house is like a million dollars. What a dodo! It's great advice, yeah. That. I mean, at the time, but also related to that, maybe it's a better advice is just I need to spend less money. That's one thing my parents didn't teach me well is how to manage money. I remember my dad signed like a dollar, like a single dollar bill. So I wouldn't spend it. And I don't know what his intent was because I just spent other dollars that my mom would give me or someone else would give me. So I would just keep that dollar. But I was like itching to buy a little candy or stuff like that. And it's just that memory sticks in my mind. And I, and I don't remember my parents ever giving me at least advice that stuck. So now I feel like I'm not, uh, not that good. Spending money, controlling money, budgeting I, money. I feel that coming in from either as an immigrant or being children of immigrants, we learn to, we our parents want to hold on to as much as we can to provide for us, right? To give us what we need. But then they also want to give us what they weren't able to have, mm -hmm. right? So then 
la plática de dinero. They're just like, don't even talk about it. You know, all that. Like, I know I realized we were poor when I moved to Santa Barbara. You know, I stopped thinking we were millionaires because I found a receipt de un banco en Tijuana de mis papás. Decía que teníamos 10 millones de pesos, you know, pesos. And I thought it was dollars. So the next day I go back to school, I was like, I'm a freaking millionaire, yo. And my friend Martha was like, no, you're not. <laughs> I was like, ¿Y tú qué sabes? En México. You know, three bucks. But yeah. <laughs> so the thing is that you don't know. I think we, it's, it's, my parents never really discussed money, but they didn't argue about money. Pero nunca sentí que nos faltó nada. You know, there was nothing that that was like, oh, I, I need this. I need that. I felt there was definitely a lot of love in our house that made up for the material parts of it. But other than that, it's like the discussion of money was just not a thing until we were older. My mom was just like, look, she would see me come home from work 12, 14, sometimes 16 hour days, you know, working at the manager positions and you get those responsibilities and I would get home deadbeat tired And she's like, look, all this work and you have nothing to show for it. And I was like, damn, I'm over here trying to drop some knowledge, trying to, you know, wake me up. And every time she, when she would say that, I was like, I don't want the car. I don't want the flashy this. I don't want this stuff. Really made me think like, well, what do I want and what do I need? And I had to, you know, thankfully my older brother was like, always like, save your money, save your money. You know, we buy a house, forget cars, buy a roof over your head first, and then worry about everything else. And eventually, that's how I ended up having my buying my first casita, which I was happened to be lucky as well because, you know, the bubble burst and I got this really cute little casita, you know, for a bargain pretty much. But that's what I could afford at the time, so I went for it. And I think that many times we don't think about money. We're found in positions that get, we don't have anyone out there to help us. And I love that our husbands touched on this so much because I feel that with Level La Platina, we've done our best to provide that guidance. We're not financial experts, but we know that when you have financial stress, your overall well-being is not there. You know, you can't be there. You can't perform at your best because you have these worries and these and the stress is just not helping you, you know, move forward. So... That's what we're here for. We we understand that experience. Y vienen de nuestras parejas. And we have our own struggles as partners, you know, as, as married couples now. And you can see that we do because we're all brought up so differently. And, and that first generation experience has so much to do with it as well. On that topic, anything else you want to share before we go, mi amor? Uh, no, I think that's it. Thank you. So no vendan sus casas. Maro, you just reminded me. So we grew up poor, but just like you, Vero, fortunately, a lot of love. So I didn't feel poor. Right? I, didn't, I didn't feel, bro. I just knew that we couldn't do certain things. I remember thinking that camp, you would see like on, say, by the way, they would go to camp. I'm like, that's a myth. Yeah. Like, that camp don't exist. It's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that's something people made up just to make the show interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, we grow up, you know, obviously tight. I go to college and I remember the one of the first weeks we're all sitting around these small dorms and there's like probably eight of us. And the question, it's like icebreakers. And the question is, you know, what's the fanciest restaurant you've ever you've ever ate at? And people are saying, you know, these French words, you know, steakhouses that, that are like one-off, you know, it's things in Monterey Bay. I'm, I'm like, I don't know what these people are. I don't I can't even recognize. And they get to me, and I'm dead serious. I go, fancy place? Sizzler. Yeah. <laughs> me too. And I, what a loaded and I, question. And, <laughs> he had no idea that Sizzler wasn't fancy. Well, like that, he, that's what that's what gave me a shock because everyone starts busting out laughing, right? But I, I, I was genuine. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this is the. I was, I was real. Everyone starts laughing, and the guy next to me, like, you know, hits my ribs and elbows my ribs. I was like, oh, Diego, you're funny. I'm like, ah, oh, 
Yes, yes, I am hilarious. That yeah. was a joke, and we all moved on, and everyone left thinking that it was a joke, but it was a concrete evidence. Vero, like you said, like you didn't know you were poor until you got to school. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I, yeah, it was tough. We used to go to Sizzler for like graduation, so it was like once every other year or something, and that's when we balled out because it was special occasions. Like, oh, it must be it must be expensive, you know? Yeah. Vamos a venir aquí. And the reason we went because because it was a good value. Yeah. Yeah. Auto yeah. family. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. shared a buffet. Like, yeah. Yeah. My mom loves Sizzler and Shakey's because we always said we were all underage at Shakey's. So we didn't pay as much. And we always shared the plates. Like we tried to do the jugada. My mom would pack up all that Shakey's food to go. I mean, her purse had pizza, cinnamon rolls. She's like, esto van a cenar. Mm-hmm. We didn't see anything, you know, against it. We thought that's how it worked. And then I grew up and when I realized like, oh, we can't just share one plate. There's five of us here. We're just <laughs> buying one soda. Like those habits kind of. I, I remember getting the metal utensils. You were like, whoa. Oh, look at this. Beach. Oh, yeah. Damn. Silverware. Oh. Chuck E. Cheese was our, our buffet. We loved going to Chuck E. Oh, Cheese. Yeah. But my dad would be like, no más pueden jugar este. Oh. <laughs> I think I can give you guys more dollars. Hey, I, anyway. I, 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 this part doesn't have to come out on the, on, on the recording, but this has actually been really um, a pleasant experience with you guys, man. It makes me want to see you guys in person, maybe yeah. with a botella, yeah. and have kind of questions like this that we go you know around the circle, because this actually has been really... Really enjoyable. So thank you guys. It has been. Yeah, it was good. good. We're actually going to leave that on there because I, sure. I feel like, you know, I think now during the pandemic, we haven't been able to see and, and really get close to see people yeah. as much. You know, we've done what we can with the with our pods y todo eso, pero ya se llegando el punto that we're like, okay, we need that human interaction. You know, we're social beings. So let's do that. And with that, we want to thank all of you, Luis, Diego, Otto, my love. Bravo. Thank you Gracias. guys for being here with us and thank joining you. us. Now now our listeners know that we're not lying about having husbands. They are real. Si existen. Amazing husbands. Si existen. They're great. They're great people. Um, and we're lucky to have you guys in our lives. Feliz Día de los Padres. Y este, que se la pasen muy bien. Enjoy our, your little kitties and family. And uh, to our listeners, thank you um, for listening to this episode and getting to know us in a different level by meeting our husbands and getting to know our husbands as well. To keep this conversation going, feel free to shoot us an email or send us a message on uh, our Instagram or Facebook. And you can find us uh, on Instagram or Facebook at Level Love Latina, or you can send us that email to admin at levelloflatina.com. Thank you again. Thank you for always supporting us, husbands. Thank you. And ladies, thank you for always showing up. And uh, So are you asking the audience if they want to hear episode two of this? Is that? Email admin at levelloflatina.com. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? They're going to send us questions for part two of this. What are your burning questions that we didn't answer today? Thank you and happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. All right. Se cuidan todas. Thank you. Chao.